60 billion. That's a big deal, right? It's predicted that, um, that Americans will spend about $950 billion just this year on Christmas stuff. It's a big deal. Now imagine you wake up Christmas morning today, imagine you wake up, you look out your window and, uh, thank you my darling, so good, thank you. You wake up, you look out your window, right, there's all these semi-trailers lined up down your street as far as you can see and they're just all, they're full of this Christmas stuff, over a trillion dollars worth of Christmas stuff and it's all for you. And they start dumping all this stuff. It fills your yard. It fills your house. It fills your street. It fills your whole neighbourhood. Um, they just keep coming and coming and coming day and night until all this trillion dollars worth of stuff is yours. Um, that'd be a big deal, right? But the thing is, even if you had a trillion dollars worth of stuff, if you had a trillion dollars worth of gifts of every kind, there's absolutely no value in it at all. They mean zilch if you don't have the one true gift that matters, right? The gift of Jesus himself. See, Christmas is a big deal. It's a really big deal because Christmas is all about Jesus, this gift of all gifts. It's a big deal and it's, and it's very very relative to your life today, 100%. It's not a fable. It's not just some nice story about this baby in a box, you know, baby in a manger. It's about the living God coming to rescue humanity. It's about the living God coming to rescue you from yourself and me from myself. It's a big deal. Christmas is all about Jesus, and so today's message is going to press the question, where does Jesus fit into your life? Where does he fit? There's two main points, and the first one is this. Jesus should be first in your life because of who he is. Jesus should be first in your life because of who he is. Now, the, the Apostle Paul, the passage we read from, Colossians chapter 1, Paul's writing to the church to counter some false teaching about Jesus and the way he does it, essentially, is um, not tackling that head on, but he just tells people who Jesus is and what he's done. That's basically it. Now, this passage deserves a lifetime of study, but the reality is there's other people booking this hall for 10 o'clock, and so <laughs> we just got to sort of push this through. Um, but the time we do spend here will be valuable. Look at verse 15 to 17, please. It says, He is the image, this is talking about Jesus, right, in the context, Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Why should Jesus be first in your life? 
because he's the image of the invisible God. He is God in human form. Now, the Gospel of John tells us heaps about who Jesus is, right? The first chapter tells us that he's eternal, that he's always existed. Uh, Then it tells us that he became flesh, he became human and lived a life on earth. It also says that no one has ever seen God, but that if you've seen and know Jesus, then you uh, know exactly what God is like because Jesus is God in human form. Jesus makes God known. And verse 19 of our passage today says, For in him, that's Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. All the fullness of God was pleased to be in Christ. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 says, says it this way, Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. The exact imprint of his nature. Why should Jesus be first in your life? Because Jesus is God in the flesh. He's God in human form, the perfect image and expression of the living God in full humanity. God entered into human history and took on full humanity, fully God, fully human. It also, verse 15 says that Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. Now, this doesn't mean that he's a created being, like the Jehovah's Witness, they would say that he's a created being and might twist this verse to say such, but um, it doesn't mean that and it can't mean that. Um, for one reason, because the, de- the text goes on to say that Jesus created everything, that he was before all things. He was before all things. Uh, he pre-existed eternally. And so what, what the Apostle Paul is getting at here is actually the special rights that a firstborn would have. Now, Billy, don't take this too far. Right. He's talking about the special rights and privileges that a firstborn would have, um, particularly in that culture, right? We might not, you know, click onto that so well, but in that culture, a firstborn had some, had some rights, um, a special place. And especially if they were the firstborn of a, of a ruler or a king, you know, because then they'd inherit that, um, that authority and, and the sovereignty to rule and to reign, Firstborn here is talking about supremacy. Supremacy, right? Jesus is above all and over all creation uh, because he made it all. Look at verse 16. For by him, for by him, that's Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities. All things were created through him and for him. He's the creator of all. The Gospel of John, again, it, he, he agrees, it agrees completely, right? All things were made through him, that's Jesus, and without him was not anything made that was made. In Jesus was life, life itself. Everything stems from him and through him. Jesus is the creator of all and he's the sustainer of all. Look at verse 17. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. 
And again, Hebrews chapter 1, Jesus upholds the universe by the word of his power. Why is the universe ordered so well? Why do we keep spinning around the sun without just flinging off somewhere into you know, the universe? How is it being all held together? Why is it that we're the perfect distance from the sun, not to be scorched to death or freeze to death, but perfectly ripen your tomatoes? It's because Jesus designed it, he made it, and he sustains it. Even when he was laying in that manger, he was holding that universe together. Mind-blowing. He was sustaining all things. Why should Jesus be first in your life? Because he's God. He's the creator and sustainer of the universe. This means that he made you and is sustaining you and me right now and your family and all your friends. You're not a cosmic accident. You're wonderfully made, carefully designed and sustained by Jesus himself. Your heart is beating right now because he wants it to. No other reason. He wants it to. This is why he should be first in your life, because of who he is. The second reason he should be first in your life is because of what he's done. Look at verse 18 to 20 with me. It says, And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. He is the head of the body. The head of the body. The church is described metaphorically in, in many ways in the Bible, right? And, and here and in other places, it's called a body. The church is like a human body made up of all different parts, right? And Christ is the head. He's the head. And you might agree with me here, I hope you would, that your head's a pretty part, important part of your body, right? Um, you can live without arms and legs and fingers and even some bits from the inside, but if you've got no head, you're dead. So, um, you know, the head's really important, and that's the same as the church. The Jesus is the head of the church. He's the leader. He's the beginning of the church. Without him, there is none. He's also the firstborn from the dead. Uh, Jesus was put to death on a cross, but it was raised back to life. He's the firstborn from the dead, the first fully resurrected one, never to die again. And every follower of Jesus, uh, they're going to experience that as well. Every Christian, everyone who has been born again spiritually, made new spiritually, um, they're going to follow this resurrection pattern of Jesus. Uh, you know, live, die, rise again, never to die again, but have eternal life. Right? This is the big promise of the Bible to us all, to every single one of us. Eternal life. Eternal life. And it's only possible because of the life, death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
Why should Jesus be first in your life? Because he's made the way for you to have eternal life. Eternal life. He came to reconcile you back to God by the blood of his cross. And so, Jesus is God, he's creator, sustainer, he's the supreme firstborn over all things. He's the head of the church, the firstborn from the dead, the resurrected son of God. And verse 18 says that he is all these things for this reason, in order that in everything he might be preeminent. And he is. Jesus is preeminent. He is supreme. He is the greatest. He is unsurpassed and unrivaled in all things. He is of the highest rank. He's the highest rank, the most excellent, the most distinguished, the most important and authoritative, powerful being that will ever be. And people dare to blaspheme the name of this Jesus. People dare to ridicule this baby in a manger. How deadly. How deadly. So if this is Jesus, where is he in your life? Where is Jesus in your life? Is he first as he deserves? Where is he? And how do you know? Well, for starters, if he's first in your life, you'll love him. You'll love him for who he is, your creator, sustainer, redeemer. And if he's not these things to you, he's not first. Where is Jesus in your life? If he's first, you'll love him and you'll love his word, the Bible. And you'll love his people, the church. You'll love his instruction and counsel for your life. You'll love righteousness instead of evil. If he's first in your life, you'll live for him and not for yourself. Where is Jesus in your life? If he's nowhere to be found, if you have little or no concern for him, then you have a problem. More than that, you're in danger. Danger. Because if you have no love for Christ, you have not been reconciled to him. And if you have not been reconciled to him, then you're an enemy of him. You're an enemy of Christ, an enemy of God. There is no middle ground to this. Don't forget about what the general population of the world says. There is no fence sitting. You can't kind of be all right with Jesus. Forget that. The Bible's clear. There is no fence sitting. You're an enemy of God or you're a child of God. You are in Christ or you're not. 
You have been reconciled to him or you haven't been. It's a hard line. Why wouldn't somebody love Jesus for all that he is? Why would someone not have Christ in their life as first? I'll tell you why. Because they love their sin. Love sin more than the Saviour. That's why. And this world, it just provides endless pleasures, doesn't it? Pleasures that are like, that are drug-like, that just lure people in, cannot break the hold of these, these, these lures, these, these baits, these pleasures. And these pleasures stir up the passions and the lust and the desires of the heart, what's deepest in you. And they highlight what a person truly loves. It doesn't matter, in the end, it doesn't matter what you say. What do your actions say? What do your actions say? Because what you truly love, that's what you're going to chase after. That's what you're going to pursue. And you'll chase after it until you get it, until it's first in your life. The love of money, the love of possessions, the love of comfort, the love of popularity, happiness, power, authority, whatever, whatever. I could list off a million things and there's still, there'd still be more. Whatever. It can be anything. Whatever you truly desire in the depths of your heart, that is first. You'll put it first. You'll do anything to make it first. But nothing should be above Jesus. Not one thing. He must be first. People love their sin more than a saviour, more than the saviour. But this is danger because sin separates people from God. It creates a huge chasm. Sin's like poison, yet by nature, we love to just drink it down to every last drop, then lick the glass. What do I mean? People choose to lie. People choose. They choose to lie, cheat, steal, deceive to get the things they truly love. People will deliberately damage and destroy relationships to get the thing they truly love, whatever that is. People are happy to commit all kinds of sexual immorality to get the thing they want, that they truly want. People choose to gossip and slander and hate and even murder to get the things they truly love, the thing they want most. And these things and countless others are sin. And sin is deadly poison because it separates a person from God. Gigantic chasm between man and God. Because sin is not ultimately horizontal. It's ultimately vertical. Yes, we sin against one another. But ultimately, every sin is against him. Every single one. It's a spit in the face of God. It's a kick in the shins. It's a turning of the back. Utter disrespect. 
And sin is when we break God's moral law at its heart. And that brings judgment and condemnation. And if you've broken one, you've broken them all. If you've broken God's law, you're in danger. In danger. If you've broken one, you need to be reconciled to God. Must be reconciled to God. And the only way is through the blood of Jesus, the blood of his cross. And so by now you're probably saying, oh, Stephen, what has this got to do with Christmas? I come here for a, an, an uplifting start to the day. I want to hear about this baby. I want to hear about the wise men and that nice story. And yeah, this is all part of it. This has everything to do with Christmas, right? Because Christmas is all about God coming to fix our sin problem, to close that gap. That's what it's about, right? He's come, Jesus has come to make the only way for sinners to be reconciled to God. The only way. The only way. He come to make us all good with God. That's a Christmas story. The Bible's clear. We've, we've all sinned. We've all ignored God. We've all been hostile to, towards God in many ways. We've all made ourselves enemies of God. But, 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 the Bible also says this. And here's your uplifting bit. If you come for that, here it is. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And for while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. The ungodly. And the payment for sin is death. This is why we die. We sin, the payment is death. The payment for sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, while we were weak, while we were ungodly and sinful, Jesus came to die for us. Why? To reconcile us back to God and to give us that free gift of eternal life. What's the big deal about Christmas? The creator entered human history to make the way for people like you and me to be reconciled back to God, to be saved from hell. This is a big deal. It's the biggest deal. This is your soul we're talking about. The big deal is that God loves you and does not want to condemn you but to save you from your sins. The big deal about Christmas is that God himself came to rescue you personally. Personally. And ultimately, that was through the blood of his cross. See, Jesus lived a perfect sinless life and he gave his own life on the cross for us. His life became a payment, a payment for the sin of the world. 
And because God is perfectly holy and just, righteous, he cannot let sin go unpunished. Like a good judge cannot let a criminal just walk out of the courtroom. He must, justice is demanded. He must give that criminal what he deserves. And if that's the case in human, in civil court, how much more than a perfectly holy God? And we're the criminals who broke God's law, but Jesus took the punishment that we deserve in our place. In our place. The Bible says that on the cross, in a real way, Jesus became sin. Jesus, the Son of God, became everything that is hated, became sin. He became everything that God the Father hates. And at that point, sin was laid upon Jesus. And God poured out his holy wrath, anger, fury, exhausted it all upon his son. He became our substitute. He stood in our place. He paid off the sin debt that we owe God. And only he could do it because of who he is and that he walked that sinless life. He fulfilled God's law in our place and he took our place on that cross. And we know it is acceptable because he was raised from the dead. What's the big deal about Christmas? The Son of God came to reconcile you to himself. And now he's done everything so that on the great day of judgment, which is coming, you can walk free. Not only that, it's so that Jesus would be first in your life today. Today. All that God has asked from you, all that he asks is that you repent and believe. Repentance is about confessing to God that You've sinned against him. It's when you turn to God and plead for mercy because you know in the depths of your heart you have sinned against the holy God. And his word says, everyone knows it. Don't let your heart get hardened to the point where you won't confess. If you know it, confess. Don't wait. Don't wait. The most important thing is that you believe and trust in what Jesus has done for you on the cross. You've got to put your trust in him, not your own good works, because in the sight of God, we don't have any. And whatever good we do, you can't rely on that. You've got to rely only on what Jesus has done. He said he's done it all. It is finished. He paid the price in full. Don't trust any good in your goodness. You've got to trust in Jesus the Saviour what he's done on the cross for you personally, personally. And God promises he'll forgive all your sins, he'll wash you clean, he'll cleanse you of all unrighteousness and give you the free gift of eternal life. What's the big deal about Christmas? God himself came to prove his love for you. And he did that by coming and dying on the cross. Charles Spurgeon once said that, Jesus loved you without beginning. Before years and centuries and millennium began to be counted, your name was on his heart. Your name was on his heart before the foundation of the earth and when he walked this earth and when he was walking to his cross and when he was hanging off that cross, your name was on the heart of Jesus. 
to bring you back to himself, to reconcile you with him once and for all so that you can have peace with God by the blood of his cross. And now, even today, he is calling you to himself. He's calling you to trust in him today and what he's done for you. Put your trust in that. Put your trust in that. Where is Jesus in your life? Where is he? I'm not asking where he was. I'm not asking that at all. I'm asking where he is today. Where is he today? Does he have first place or not? If not, what does? And what are you going to do about it? You're going to stay in your sins or repent and put your trust in Christ? There's a day coming when everyone will submit to the total rule of Jesus Christ. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that he is Lord, but only those who have put their trust in him will enter heaven. No one else. Only those who trust in Christ. What's the big deal about Christmas? It's a celebration of Jesus, the supreme saviour. That's the big deal. And he wants you, he's calling you today to trust in him. Receive the free gift of eternal life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just want to give you praise and thanks for sending the Saviour. Lord, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would be working in the hearts of all of us. That we might be drawn to you. That you would cause us to drop the knee and confess that we're sinners in need of a saviour and to claim Jesus for ourselves, to trust in him and receive eternal life. How good, how gracious. He is the gift of all gifts and we thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.